Hey entrepreneurs, today we're with Bob Hendricks from Loop Biotech and our host Simon van Teutem. Bob is one of the aspiring entrepreneurs that have participated in the Philips Innovation Award and built the first live-in coffin. The Philips Innovation Award is the largest student entrepreneurship award in the Netherlands, intended for students and recent graduates who want to accelerate the startup or startup idea. The program allows you to get feedback from experts take part in multiple coaching days and meet our partner network to find your first investor or launching customer. Enter our league by handing in your business plan before the 20th of January. 30 best teams will be selected to participate in the training and investor days, semi-finals and potentially the grand final. Will you be there? Bob, welcome. Thanks for coming here. My first question to you would be, um, was it always your dream to be an entrepreneur or is it something that only came later? Um, I think I, during my high school, I, when, whenever like friends were saying like, hey, what do you want to become when you're old? I never knew and I sort of felt really out of place. And it was until that moment that I realized like, hey, if you want to do a lot of things, probably you're an entrepreneur. But I didn't understand what that was. But looking back, I already had like small little businesses. Like we had like a, a gardening sort of company. Okay, so also in the bio space. Also in the bio yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one way or another. Yeah, that was nice. So a little garden company in which we like maintained gardens and then was like, hey, we're doing this ourselves for 10 uh, euros uh, per hour. But what if we uh, recruit our friends and then make a little margin on it? Okay. So that, that's when... Uh, that's and your friends went along with that as well? No, yeah, your yeah. Your okay. friends went along with it and it was, it was super fun. But at some point, we also learned some valuable business lessons because then we let them only do the gardening and then they sort of lied to us how much, how much they earned. Okay. So we learned a lot of it things. It was a principal uh, agent problem. Exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, an economist from Rotterdam would yeah. call it. Uh, <laughs> okay, interesting. And so were you very nervous kid who was already very into like inventing stuff and creating um, stuff or were you also a bit of a social butterfly who I wanted to try all more, sorts of things? more definitely more social um not so much on the technical invention side but more on like creative stuff or initiating initiating or organizing stuff as well yeah Okay, but what, so not not necessarily on the technical stuff, but what drove you to Delft then? Because Delft is, of course, the Technical University of the Netherlands, our yeah, own true. MIT, you yeah, would, could yeah. say. Um, so I was always very inspired by growth, and especially in the built environment. And my dad and my brother also did something like in construction and real estate. So I was always really interested about it. My mom is actually an artist. So for me, architecture and like building skyscrapers was like the dream, especially when we went to New York. So that drew me to Delft, like the place where you can learn how to build skyscrapers. It's interesting that you mentioned your mom because maybe they also told you that buildings shouldn't only be functional, but that it should also be an expression of art of aesthet or aesthetics maybe. Yeah, I think definitely the case. So my dad is super practical. So he's really like the... The, the manager yeah. and my mom is super arts and craft and she knows about the vision and how it should look and how it should feel. And I think that sort of, I have both sort of aspects in me, which turns me into a crazy guy who creates living coffins. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, because tell me a little bit more about those living coffins. Your, your company is called Loop. Mm -hmm. It's about sort of the cycle or the loop of yeah. nature in a way, right? Yeah, correct. And your, your 
key product right now or maybe proof of concept or how you want to call it is a living coffin yeah so how would you how would you describe that how does that work yeah so the living coffin is a coffin uh, grown from mushrooms it actually enables people when they die to no longer pollute the earth but actually to enrich life after death so how come how come usually when we bury people they actually pollute the earth how does that work yeah, so it's multiple things. It's definitely how the industry is sort of invented in a way that we see ourselves as waste. Yeah. But yeah, when I look at you, I think you're a beautiful bag of compost, of Thanks course. Thanks very much. Uh, but it's really designed as sort of waste management, so of CO2 emission, material depletion, soil pollution. And in the end, the body is also um, containing a lot of chemicals. So more research is evolving, and we learn, like the World Health Organization stated, like, hey, your body on average contains 219 chemicals. So when you die, you're actually polluting the earth. For me, I was like, ah, what the fuck? Is that stuff that's already naturally in there? Or is that no, because of our intake of, exactly. of products? Or so, for example, microplastics are in fish. We eat the fish, we get microplastics in our body. And when we are then buried into the ground, then those microplastics pollute the sort of environment there again. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And what's, what's, what specific impact does that have? Because I find it difficult to imagine that whole infrastructure of yeah, organisms under saying. the ground. Does it, uh, so does it pollute it so that other organisms can't grow there anymore? Yeah, or? so it's really about like the chemicals that are in our body, they pollute then the earth. And um, yeah, we, we sort of stack people on top of people on top of people. And it has been going on for like centuries. So the, the cemetery soil is like dead soil. Okay. So it can no longer like absorb or restore itself. Yeah. So that was actually funny, the link to architecture. Always when we had to build like a plan, it was always like looking at the city. Okay, there's the funeral site. That's the most polluting area you can't build there. It was yeah. always a thing. So for me, I already knew it, but I didn't know it was that bad. Around it? As well, is there like a radius around that area or is it uh, just like the place where it's people... It's definitely the place, but there, because it, in the end, it ends up in our drinking water. Okay. And that's why the filter system of, for example, the how do you say, the water sanitation yep. management systems, um, yeah, also get more contaminated because in okay. the end it ends up. But in they the can whole just system. clean it out, right? We're not drinking the chemicals exactly, from a dead exactly. bottle. No, we, we clean it out. But it does cost quite a lot, maybe, yeah. to get rid of that contamination. Yeah. And then the skeptic may maybe say that, um, okay, we have some burial sites. That's only a very limited proportion of the yeah. surface of our country maybe not in such a small country like the netherlands but yeah. in larger countries like germany or france or the us that's not really a problem there's enough fertile ground that we can use for building or construction why mm. do you still think it's a problem um yeah first of all like the soil um the soil quality is rapidly decreasing like worldwide so yeah. soil is one of our most interesting and most valuable resources like it's where we build our food upon um, so that, that's, a, that's a big thing. And um, the point is everyone dies. So if we can yeah, change the way we die, we can sort of change the way we live. That is our vision. And like our first goal was, was like, uh, we're going to build this product. And our goal is to sort of uh, bury one person with this new coffin, because then over the whole world, this will be news, and people will think about themselves as compost instead of waste. Yeah. So sort of making a mind What is a compost, by the way, just for the listener who's not that much into... What is compost? Yeah. Yeah, um, fertile soil. Okay. So now you get, like, burnt, you become ash, and in our situations, like, hey, you become food for a new tree, and in the end, your nutrients go into a tree and you're, you're the tree. Yeah, which is a wonderful symbolic or maybe yeah. mar marketing element as well, right? Yeah. That you you bring new life into the earth by dying uh, yeah. if you use your coffin. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's also literal because in the end, you're really donating your body to the soil. 
And uh, it's not possible in every cemetery, but for, for example, natural burial places, there are trees around it, and literally the roots of the tree will, yeah, like, um, how do you say it nicely, will sort of yeah, suck up your nutrients and you will go into the tree. Yeah, okay, cool. And maybe let's take a step back, because how did you come up with the idea of Loop? And was that still j- while you were studying or after that, or how did it grow? Yeah, I if get, we're talking I get about organisms. <laughs> so I think definitely throughout my whole childhood, I was always like interested in nature and especially with the gardening company. And later on also when I was studying architecture, uh, together with three friends, we sort of bought a home in Detroit for $1,000. We did a whole project there to renovate a broken down house. Well, but how did that work? Because not every student is suddenly like, okay, yeah, we're going to buy this uh, yeah, exactly. deteriorated home in Detroit. Yeah, so were you living there? or? Yeah, it was like, uh, long story long, um, I did research on shrinking cities at the university. Okay. I learned about Detroit, 60% of the people left due yeah. to various reasons. It's an old industrial city that sort of... Exactly. Everything is outsourced to China or developing countries, so it's emptying up. Exactly. Um, so that's what's happening. So we went there just for fun because we learned like, okay, interesting city, let's check it out. And then we learned like, hey, you can buy houses here for $1,000. So for us, we're like, oh my God, we're architects. We can buy a home here. We can play around with it. Let's build like a sustainable seat and the whole city will be green. We make like an example home. Let's do it. And we did it like non-profit. Uh, so we did that. Was, was really How long fun. did it take you? I think one and a half years. Okay. And then it became So like how did you maintain board. yourself? You were, because you were uh, built? Still, yeah, it's two fee. Okay, yeah, so, okay. Uh, so the student financing system increasing in the Netherlands. the loan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you were living there as well. You were yeah. building You were like building it on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. And cool. then more, of course, also the management side to it. Like not like physically building the yeah. house. Although that, that was also fun at some points. Uh, but then I came back from that project and I was a little bit sort of, wouldn't say depressed, but I felt like, okay, is this how we're going to save the world from climate change? If we if we all do this, like... But what did the house look like? Just before Yeah, it was like um, a typical Ford home. So like um, Detroit uh, was built by the car industry and yeah. Ford, the motor company, yeah. they built like complete villages for their uh, employees. And we had like a typical Ford home. It was like broken down and we like rebuild it and with the new windows, solar panels, etc. Uh, what was uh, was there something alive about it as well? Or what no, that was that was really more about like sustainability. Exactly. Okay. It was more so about solar panels and uh, maybe double glass and exactly like that, that kind of stuff. So it's really from like the traditional architecture perspective, like hey, how can we save the world? Is the way we know it. But then I came back and I learned like okay, well if we all do this, like we're only being less bad. We're not being good. We're not adding value to the ecosystem. Yeah. So then I thought during my graduation, okay, I want to build companies that, sorry, companies, uh, buildings that when we build them, they actually add value to the world, to, to nature. Uh, but then I learned that's, that's, that's like not possible. Um, so I looked at nature, okay, this is sort of how nature does it, what can we learn from it? And then I decided to sort of go into living architecture and I stumbled upon like all kinds of organisms and materials and one of my favorites was mycelium, the root structure of mushrooms. You can build with it, all kind of things. Um, and then after graduation, I was sort of graduated on like a living home, a one-on-one prototype that was presented at the Dutch Design Week. Okay, cool. And then somebody stumbled. And there's the artsy side from your mom, maybe. Going exactly, well. exactly. And then somebody stumbled or came to me and said like, hey, Bob, what happens if my grandma dies? And I'm like, that's super interesting. She'll be absorbed by the home. Her nutrients will go into the soil and the tree will burst from her ashes. Yeah. And at that moment, I was like, fuck, oh my God, this is really something interesting. What if we can make a coffin? And in the beginning, it was like a playful thought, like, okay, but we're not going in the funeral industry. We're not going to do that. Yeah. And then at some point, I don't know, it, it kept sort of like 
um, yeah, pulling at me like, hey, you have to think about this. It was like stuck in my mind. And then I just decided like, fuck it. I'm, for one year, I'll do it and we'll see how it goes. And then... Uh, yeah, but that's also... It is a very entrepreneurial idea in the sense that it's it's one of the most scalable things, right? Everyone dies yeah, <laughs> at some point. True. So yeah. there's, there's a, there's a, a large market. market for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that also an angle through which you approached it or was it more um, random that it's... I think definitely the most things I do, they... Um, how do you say they, they start from the vision of like what I want to do. So I'm more of a vision, yeah, centered entrepreneur would say. Uh, for me, if I can make money on a product that I don't feel affiliate, but yeah, that's not for me. No. Uh, but of course, it was interesting that it was a scalable market. I mean, I have hundreds of ideas every day. Um, and of course, I test them like, hey, if they're feasible, okay, how big is the market? Because I want to do something, of course, that has meaning, has impact, has room for growth. And this industry is particularly interesting because one, it's scary, so let's light up the darkness. Yeah. Um, and two, it's it's huge and it impacts everyone. Like every human being is gonna die. So how cool if you can help them by making it a little bit lighter. And one more thing that struck me about what you said earlier about, okay, I could sort of build a climate neutral home, but mm -hmm. I wanted to build a home that sort of um, worked well with the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. In a way that's a distinction between climate issues and biodiversity as well yeah, I get right? what you're saying. like because climate neutral versus climate positive yeah exactly yeah right. because because for the we talk a lot about uh, emissions yeah. we don't talk a lot yet about like the ecosystem as a whole you had yeah. i think earlier this month in montreal in, in canada i think you had the cop 15 yeah. conference which is like cop 27 the climate conference but then yeah. for biodiversity which got way less media attention a lot of a lot is moving in that space as well from yeah. a regulatory point of view. So do you, do you also look at subsidies and, and grants on a European or Dutch level, or do you mainly still view it as a commercial product that you just want to push to the consumer? Yeah, we do We do both. Okay. Um, so especially in the Netherlands, we got some grants. And for European uh, grants, you really need to have everything really good uh, quantified. Okay. And for us now, it's like we have our research done together with the TU Delft, but we actually need like an external party to say like, hey, what they did is correct. We need like get a stamp. And yeah. that stamp is like 20 to 30,000. So for us as a young company, it's like, yeah, we need to wait a little bit for that. But uh, next year, it's on our on our list like to do like a professional uh, life cycle analysis cool. so we can say like hey if we use our product we can save this amount of co2 and then the interesting thing is climate positivity is really hard to calculate um, because yeah you can say like uh, how many extra insects did you implement but what is the importance of that yeah and that's 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 in the in the coming probably decade that will be a thing that we're going to calculate the positive impact Okay, cool. And, and there, there's no established methodology for that yet? Now, there are some, but it's not like CO2 is like super hard now. Everybody understands CO2 is bad, yeah. more CO2, not good. Yeah, yeah. And for biodiversity, that's still, yeah, or soil quality, for example, yeah, that still needs to uh, develop. And Bob, we're recording this for the Philips Innovation Awards. What yeah. was your what was your first encounter with them? How did you, how did you get in touch with them? Oh. Or how did they <laughs> get in touch with you? I think it was really fun. They called us. And I was in a phase that we were sort of almost dying as a company, and I was like super busy. And we what year are we talking about? It was 2020. Okay. And then I got a call like, hey, Bob, do you want to participate in the, the Philips Innovation Award? We were at Just Delft, and at some point, people were telling me like, Bob, you need to stop pitching, man. You're only pitching. You need to work on the business. So I was like, okay, shit, I'm going to decline this one because, yeah, we're, we don't have time for it. Yeah. 
But then they uh, were very persistent. They called back and they said, like, Bob, we really need you. And then I said, like, okay, I'm going to join. But I'm, I was already joking, like, okay, but I'm also going to win it. As a joke, I said that. I, I forgot about this, but then the, the person working at the Fiat, they reminded me later, like, hey, you said this in the beginning. I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because you weren't at the highest point of your confidence at that no, point. No, 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 it was more like joking, like, okay, okay. We'll, we'll do it, but we'll win. Hey. And yeah. what were then your first steps in the participation in the contest? Um, I think the first steps was really like uh, re, yeah, re sort of rethinking what is the story we want to tell, uh, what is also the story we want to, yeah, the investors want to hear. Because in the end, it's like an investor pitch. You need to just convince everyone of your product. Um, and then we had the multiple rounds in which we got feedback and improved again. And this was already about the coffin or was your storytelling broader than that? Because um, in your website, you also talk about maybe bringing this to fashion with like t-shirts that grow yeah, with you. or yeah. It, it was definitely uh, focused on the coffin because I learned in a very early stage that I have a very big vision but if I tell the vision, people think it's vague. So I need to just tell chapter one of the vision, yeah. which is the living coffin. Only talk about living coffin. If you have enough money f to sort of be stable, then talk about chapter two. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're talking to like investors because they're like, yeah, in five years, who knows? I don't care. What are you going to do now? But still, do you, do you think that you would have been successful in the Philips Innovation Awards without this broader vision? Do you think most, especially in pitching competitions, do you, do you think you need this... Because for you, it's almost ah, a world view of yeah, like what is the relationship between people and nature. Does yeah, that help you a lot with attracting funding or also attracting talent? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. So I wouldn't tell like my whole book about how I envision the world, but I definitely put in some sentences like, hey, this is our vision of the future. This is how we see it. And boom, this is how we're going to do it. Um, so I think that definitely helped because it made people understand like, hey, what they're doing is not just a product. It's a new way of collaborating with organisms that are alive instead of that. And it's a new way to build a business that when the revenue grows, it actually is better for the planet. And when they understood that, it was easier to sort of say like, hey, and we have the coffin. So you start off with a sort of naive claim like, oh, we're going to try and win yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you forget immediately yeah, yeah. as well because you have other <laughs> things in your mind. How do, how, what does the first round or second round look like? And what, did, you learn, did you get any guidance or did, you, did it challenge you in a way that you hadn't been challenged like in your own business? I think definitely just to participate forces you to sharpen your knife sort of. And I think that was really just great to, again, be on the stage with a lot of um, yeah, pretty successful people and that they just give feedback to you and then you can implement it. So I think also it's sort of the social, um, how do you say it? The social, well, yeah, maybe pressure or something. Yeah. Like you just have to be on stage. Dude, this is your time slot. You have to be there and you have to give a killer pitch. That really fo focuses you to just like, yeah, build something great. Um, so that was really nice. And also with the feedback that sort of gave us a pressure cooker, like, hey, Bob, uh, we believe in your concept, but your legal situation is not really that good. Okay. And I was like, okay, fuck, we need to fix the legal situation. So we made like a lot of calls to like IP partners. And by the next presentation, we sort of had it fixed. Yeah. Uh, well, so it was almost as if it identified your blind spots. Exactly. Okay, cool. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah that was really nice. And in the in the in the people in the judges room there are some successful entrepreneurs as well, right? Who, who take yeah. Your, okay. Cool. Yeah, different in all aspects, like from IP uh, to business to marketing, but also like to HR, like hey, how are you going to treat the people? How are you going to make sure they get better? Yeah, like all types of aspects of the business that you do not per se 
think about directly because most people think about hey what's the product yeah uh, but what i learned is that yeah a great business with a shitty product wins from a shitty team with a great product okay because a good team can still turn a shit product into a good product exactly whereas exactly. a shit team will probably lose the competition on the good product to a, a better team yeah exactly. okay interesting and um so that's all feedback on content on like how do you build your business better yeah. what are your blind spots did the Philips Innovation Award also help with your network? Because you meet another, a lot of other entrepreneurs. Uh, you talk maybe to f- potential funders or, or people to recruit. Or you get reach for your company as yeah. well. How did that work? Um, yes, I think that worked great. So first of all, it was really fun to meet fellow entrepreneurs and see like, hey, how are they in their journey? And not only from the business side, but also from like the life side. Like, hey... How do you deal with uh, so, yeah, something that happened in your business? How is your work-life balance? Hey, how do you do it in your relationship? I think that was also personally really, really nice. Did you make any friends as well? Or was it still a little bit too competitive for that? No, I think definitely because I also talked to um, previous winners. So, for example, Julian from Somnox. I am. I think actually maybe that's the moment we met. Somnox is the, is the sleep robot, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also from Delft. Also from Delft, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a good, a good example. Um, so that, that, for example, is a friend and already, yeah, probably more in the network that I can just think of right now. And then you also have like the professionals, which was really nice to get some links to some um, VCs or may, m- more investors. Yeah. I think that was most helpful for us. And then we won. Then we got a lot of attention and a lot of doors open. And one of the immediate results of that was like the Graduate Entrepreneur Fund. Yeah. Um, so we sort of walked, yeah, the the ideal track of like the via the graduation fund and then like a normal angel and now we're like going to the next stage of a professional international yeah. vc so it's a good catapult yeah definitely, definitely. and what did uh, what did the final look long like like the grand final so you have a few rounds you yeah. show up you pitch then there's one big final round how many entrepreneurs are still there how do you prepare for it I what what, what, what does it look us like it was um in our category i think it was like five other competitors if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm um yeah and it, you just do your thing you have your own game um so in the end it's super um exciting to sort of learn or know like hey did, are we better than the others or how does it fit in the end i also learned like it's not per se about like uh, that we're per se like better it's also like the, the how do you say like the the tight geist yeah, yeah, like yeah what in this moment is most valuable you also have to be on the right wave sort of and what did the prize look like because you mentioned the the graduate entrepreneur fund but yeah. what, what what how did it actually help you specifically yeah what so were the, the prize was like ten thousand uh, euros and then a lot of um other how do you say it um in kind uh prizes yeah so for example i think from the ns we got like business cars we got an office, office space okay okay and some advice uh so that adds up to maybe like a few tens thousands yeah okay. i think it adds up to fifty thousand. okay yeah. cool and it wasn't your last pitch competition right because you participated in dragon's den this year yeah exactly did a lot of the lessons year. that you learned oh my god yeah in, in may I think. yeah holy but um a lot of the lessons that you learned during the Philips Innovation Awards still help you when you had to do it on television. Yeah, definitely. I think it was actually almost almost the same pitch. Definitely uh, okay. sort of how it was structured. So it was a good training. And you won funding there as well, right? Yeah. So we Sean Harris, the uh, avocado queen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Peter Schoen. Yeah. Um, so we raised uh, one million there. 
Okay. Um, so how much really equity nice. did you have to give for that? Thirty percent. Okay, cool. So yeah. that sets your value on just over three million. If yeah, you think exactly. About it that 2. Way. 3. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and do you get a lot of guidance from then then as well in the last yeah, half especially. year? Especially. So it was really uh, interesting because the the deal went pretty fast. Um, so we had a lot of VCs at that moment that what but could also be interested. So for us, like Dragons Den was sort of like a bonus thing. Okay. We thought like. If we win, nice, but probably we'll still go with the others. Okay. But then it went so fast and they were so specific and it was like, okay, hey, this is interesting because they can add much more value. For example, Sean Harris, yep. she's like seen it all. She started from nothing to like a million uh, dollar company. Yeah, hundreds of millions, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, so I, in the end, in that moment, we thought like, hey, this is actually more interesting and we go with this option. Yeah. But was it still important because you have to you you sort of win that they they want to guide you yeah. or they want to give you a deal? Was it important to have an option B that you were already talking to other VCs to get a better deal out of it, um, or did you immediately say yes to the offer? Now we had in our how do you say it in our own um, because we are, of course you're as a company you're fundraising so you're gonna not put all eggs in one basket. Yeah. Is that a saying? I guess. Yeah, so. that's 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 saying. absolutely a saying. Um, so we had multiple options, but then. We already, like, before the episode, we decided, okay, if this happens, then we go for that one. And then that happened. It was like, okay, let's do it. Push let's the button. It. Okay, cool. And then in one month, we got everything fixed, the money in account, and we were, like, good to go. And you were already talking about next year for a bit. What is what is the next challenge or the next adventure for, for Loop that we, we should yeah. be looking at for the next year or two? Yeah, next year is going to be the, like, the idea is to have it the big year. So we're going to launch a new product portfolio. We're going international, set up multiple like uh, partnerships internationally. Okay. And we're going to, um, how do you say, get to a new level of revenue that will allow us to raise um, serious VC funds. And can you already say something about the product expansion or about the other product groups yeah. that you're looking into? Yeah, so we're looking more. It's definitely will be in the, the funeral business because we uh, think mycelium should play a role in like recycling and bringing humans back into the, the cycle of life. Um, so it will be multiple shapes and products and a little bit more organic. So now, like the coffin, we're proud of it, but we know we can do much better in terms of aesthetics. Yeah. Um, so that will be definitely uh, nice. And maybe one, one more question, maybe <coughs> a slightly more, more critical or skeptical question is, for a very long time, it was easy to get funding or relatively easy to get funding if we talk about Zeitgeist because the yeah, interest yeah, rates were always super low and yeah. a lot of people are saying, well, right now you can get funding for anything. Yeah. Uh, the economic tide is turning. Yeah. Uh, a lot of venture capitals are sitting on their funds suddenly and you have to actually get debt in order to get funding very often. Is that something, one, that you've noticed or that challenges the, the, the future of your company? And two, do you think that... If, if, if I think about the listeners who may want to become an entrepreneur, is there a good time and a bad time to become an entrepreneur uh, or should say. you just try it? Yeah. Um, so the first one is I hear stories. Uh, from my experience, I've not experienced it. Uh, we're in a follow-up round with our current investors. Um, that That's going well, I would say. Uh, but I think it really depends on the industry. And especially like for, for sustainability, everything is a long-term game. And the investors, at least what I experienced from them, they understand, hey, it's a long-term game. We're going to have seven good years, seven bad years. It's a cycle of life. That's yeah. it. Uh, but definitely maybe the more 
the faster companies that are in it just for the money yeah. and like get quick, uh, get rich quick sort of schemes, probably they have a little bit more problems. Okay, I assume that's my assumption. And oh. then the second question, like, hey, yeah, I think the the, the real big cliche is kind of like if if you know, you know, and people already know. People listening to this, they know, but yeah, sometimes you're just afraid. And especially when you're young, you should take like a lot of chances because like what what's the worst thing you can happen? And especially for me in the beginning when I just graduated, I was really scared. I was like, hey, I want to do this, but fuck, where do I get my money from? Yeah. And then I just told myself, okay, I'm going to give myself like first uh, half a year and I just need to survive. So what I did, I did like a pitch competition. I won like 2000 and I built like a little prototype, went to a funeral company, said, okay, hey, I'm going to build three prototypes for you if you give me 10,000 right now and then of course now it starts easy but I went to multiple parties yeah but then they said yes and I sort of won like half a year and I knew okay within half a year I need to build one product that I can sort of uh, bury one person in yeah and then that sort of became a thing and then after six months of course I was much more successful because I had a really nice foundation that I had rest I had the funding in place yeah and then I could build up a little bit bigger and how old were you when you started or when I at the start of that half year that you I just mentioned? I think 25. And were you, were you, I'm also curious, because a lot of people, if I think about students in Rotterdam particularly, many of them say, oh, I first want to go work for a big corporate for two or three years and yeah. earn my badge and get some credibility and some basic skills. And then after that, I want to maybe found a startup. And then the, the problem with that is often that after two or three years, yeah, they, they start <laughs> thinking about a mortgage and they yeah, maybe yeah, about yeah. kids even already, or they get used to their spending patterns and they're not yeah. no longer willing to take the risk. Whereas yeah. if you just come out of university, your spending pattern is low, you can still, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? You exactly. asked it earlier. What is your view on that? Do you think it can ever be, if you look in the startup world and in how people secure funding and get yeah. new recruits, what is the value of working for a big corporate first? Um, I've seen it in, in, in places around me and people around me, like it should fit your profile. Like some people, they, they, they like it. They learn a lot there and then uh, they maybe become an entrepreneur. Uh, but for me, what was most important is that like I always like speed and growth. Like looking back to the skyscrapers, like okay, how can we go as fast as possible? And sort of the process in that is for me like the fun part. Um, so what I learned from almost every entrepreneur is like, hey, where do you learn to entrepreneur? If you're entrepreneur, it's just like go into the shitstorm and just survive. And after one year, you're the best. Yeah. And that's always when when people sort of like ask these questions. Like for me, like hey, just do it. Uh, which sounds super cliche, and just face all the dirty stuff, and that's that's how you learn. Like, and do you have any final final words of advice for listeners or aspiring entrepreneurs? I think the what would you what maybe in other words, um, what would you wish that someone told you when you started this journey? I think the biggest advice that I got that I could not get more was like, hey, uh, love yourself. So in a sense of um, make sure you have boundaries, make sure you're on good health with with yourself um, and sort of also are honest with yourself because in the end, deep down, you know what you want, but sometimes there are like forces in play that you you get pushed to a little other side or to the right. And I think that's really hard as a starting entrepreneur because you, you don't know everything. But looking back, I did know actually a lot of things. But sometimes people told me like, yeah, I'm an experienced entrepreneur, you should go left. And I was like, okay, yeah, you should probably know better. 
Um, so I think that would also be like, hey, listen, just stay positive and listen to your gut feeling, um, which is super cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. Okay. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> no, thanks.